Blog Talk Radio. Institute report says union dues system doesn't match 
talk on taxes. Let's. I don't understand that. Let's see what that is. from the journal Inquirer. A state employee's union calls on lawmakers to expand taxes on those with, with higher incomes. A policy brief from a state-focused think tank is criticizing unions for not using the same philosophy with their own dues structure. The Yankee Institute, in a policy brief released last week, called the flat rate or flat fee structure that many unions use for membership dues hypocrisy. Unions doubtless have good reasons not to adopt progressive dues structure, wrote Zachary Jan Janowski and Dave Goldman, Yankee Institute staff members who authored the brief. When selling, setting tax rates, Connecticut policymakers should be guided more by what unions do than what they say. The report suggests that unions use aggressive systems because lower paid members see more of a benefit for their contributions and that better compensated employees would be less inclined to join unions if fee structures were based on income. Still, the Yankee Institute compared the due system to regressive flat tax system as opposed to the income tax structure that levies higher rates as individuals' income increases. The regressive nature of union dues means part-time employees who are members see higher percentage of their earnings lost to the fees. The report also criticizes the American Federation of Teachers for excessive rate increases in 2005, citing media reports that indicate rates for three collective bargaining units have gone up between 30% and 50%. The Institute said the increased dues have allowed for unions to seek an increase in revenue despite a nationwide drop in membership. Larry Dorman, a spokesman for the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees Council 4 dismissed the report saying that Yankee Institute is a right-wing front group whose goal is to grade public service, weaken unions, and put even more money in the pockets of rich folks and corporations who manipulate the tax code to their advantage. It's no surprise their unhealthy preoccupation with labor unions extends to the dues our members pay for the services we provide, namely bargaining for a better way of life and achieving a small piece of the American dream, he continued in a statement. Unlike the Yankee Institute, we're trying to strengthen the middle class, not weaken it. ASME Council 4 roughly represents 35,000 employees across Connecticut at the local and state levels and in the private sector. So you've so, got to be careful, folks. Things get quite manipulated. Well, there's another article connected to this, which is the Tax the Wealthy, Spare the Budget, a general inquirer. And I, I, I happen to agree with that. You know, you got, you know Connecticut, even though they're moving out, I, I don't know. You, know it, you just can't keep taxing the middle class and, 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 and you know, huh. But a coalition of organizations opposed to state budget cuts gathered Monday to call on lawmakers to instead raise taxes on the wealthy. <clears throat> um, wait a minute. What the hell? That's it? Are they do redact the whole article? I don't know. Looks like it. Hmm. Huh. Oh, Oh, yeah, it's it's about support this site by answering the quick question. Uh, but it just looks like everything's redacted here. Yeah. Uh, oh, put down skip survey. Go, go right here. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, see that? yeah there you go. A Hartford, uh, a coalition of organizations opposed to state budget cuts gathered Monday to call on lawmakers instead to raise taxes on the wealthy. A handful of speakers, largely representatives of organized labor, said that the General Assembly needs to make the wealthy pay their share instead of cutting core services. They want us to believe Connecticut's broke, said AFT Connecticut President Jan Hutchadale. It's not broke unless they broke it on purpose. They created this budget crisis, and then they say it's up to the hardworking middle class to fix it. The group which gathered at Emanuel Lutheran Church before marching across the street to the legislative office building also includes uh, organizations that advocate for social services and progressive policies. 
Uh, now this happened yesterday, by the way. This came out, this article. Mm. Um, known as Demo- Democracy, Unity, and Equality, or DO, D-U-E, uh, Justice, the um, group said Monday that the budget cuts will fall hard on the lower and middle class without asking for a sacrifice on the state's richest residents. Connecticut is better than this, said Connecticut AFL-CIO President Lori Pelletier. There, uh, we deserve better than this, and we need to fight for this, and we need to continue to go day after day. Some of the speakers warned that the cuts would affect residents' access to services, and thus the overall quality of life. And Diana Rios, president of the University of Connecticut's Professors Union, said the illustrious future that may want uh, for the state cannot happen without pre-K to college educational access. And Monday's rally, scheduled uh, weeks ago, came as Governor Daniel Malloy continues to warn that the state needs to lay off a significant number of employees to help close a budget deficit projected to be nearly $900 million next fiscal year. But Malloy reiterated Monday that he will not support tax increases as part of any package to balance the budget. The time has come that I think we need to balance the budget, not spend more money than we have, and look at long-term and short-term obligations in a different way, he said. And along with layoffs, Malloy in February proposed a 5.75% across-the-board cut as part of his plan to cut $750 million, $570 million from next year's budget. Um, I don't understand any of this. But some of the speaker at Monday's rally addressed the issues beyond the state budget. Gus Marks Hamilton, who studied social work at the University of Connecticut, said the state needs to look for ways to downsize its prison population. And Mark Hamilton, uh, have, uh, Marks Hamilton rather said, uh, mass incarceration disproportionately affects minorities in a state that is 80% white and is a problem that intersects with so many social justice issues. He said, changes include raising the age of the juvenile justice system, which is currently for residents under 18, and prohibiting employers from asking applicants to disclose criminal histories prior to extending a job offer, an initiative known as Ban the Box. And these are Democratic uh, proposals now before the legislature. Yeah, they so. could do a few things to help the people that live here. Yeah. You, know, mm. you would think they would, but that doesn't necessarily happen. Um, let's see. Workers ask you, Miss that. Billion, that's billion with a B, all right, dollars. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what's incredible about But that. what he's saying is what good is it if they leave? And that will leave masses yeah. of people unemployed. Yeah. Well, but, state um, employee unions will not be so lucky. Layoffs are looming. Pink slips could be hitting desks and mailboxes in the next few weeks, according to Daniel Malloy, who seems to have no intentions of changing course. Layoffs will happen. The only question now is how many will lose their jobs. It is possible that slashing benefits can help, but so far unions have said they won't do it. Quite a few union members are outraged that the state would give them the boot or cut benefits before squeezing the rich for more taxes. The public safety unions, which include prison guards, rallied at the Capitol on Tuesday to protest the cuts, but Governor Malloy has stated that he can't find any law lawmaker willing to support tax sites, and the state government must shrink. So what can that state employee unions do? The options are very limited now. They could try to negotiate, but they'd be giving away one of the few things they could hold on to until 2022, benefits and pensions, instead of losing them like they will almost certainly have to stomach losing jobs and members. As for the layoffs themselves, nobody is happy with the idea, but no one has a better solution. It is easy to say that we don't have a spending problem, we have a revenue problem. It's also wrong. If the problem was revenue, raising taxes should have done much more to fix it than it actually did. The trouble here is that our revenue problem is very stubborn, and no amount of tax hikes, tax hikes will fix it if we can't turn our economy around. That leaves us with cunning spending. The bad news is, is that this situation won't be fixed without quite a lot of suffering on the part of state employees and the middle class to which most of them belong. The governor has already proposed a large number of layoffs, me, uh, meaning there's a strong likelihood of courts and DMV offices closing. Unions could absolutely make the argument that cutting staff and throwing people out of work will actively hurt the state's economy, and that is something that is guaranteed to happen. The immediate effects of someone being out of work are one thing, but there are ripple effects like the spread through the economy as people can afford fewer goods and services. It's also true that the government will function less well post-layoffs. Many agencies are understaffed already. It's hard to imagine that DCF or the DMV will function better with even fewer employees. Why shouldn't unions come to the table and offer up benefit cuts to have some of their, those jobs then? Certainly the unions are feeling plenty of pressure to do just that. But in a country where labor is constantly under threat, in only five years after the unions already made huge concessions to prevent layoffs, that idea just seems impossible to stomach. Why do they always have to be on the backs of public unions? Well, State employee <clears throat> unions then are in a bad place. Whatever they choose, It'll be the wrong choice. Their members will be furious. The public will be just as dismissive as other. The labor movement will be weakened, and their legislative support will erode even further. In that situation, the least awful move may be to fight the cuts wholesale, even knowing they'll fail. Maybe it's better to go about fighting for what you believe in than the slow death of endless concessions and layoffs. Whatever they decide, there remains one question no one wants to answer hovering over the whole thing. If this doesn't fix our fiscal crisis, what do we do then? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It won't fix the crisis because people keep moving and things keep losing and they don't have any... They any, have nothing coming in to replace yeah. the jobs that are lost. No, they were they were going to uh, to possibly legalize marijuana and uh, that would be a big a big boom. And why don't yeah. they put in a state bank? And put in a state bank, get rid of the debt, you know, by doing that. But they, 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 they're too stupid. They're too they're, they're dumb stupid. to have, a, have a, a fix that really works. Yeah, and they won't look at new ideas. They just keep trying to replay the they replay, It's like retreading an yeah. old tire. You yeah. know, eventually the tire wears out. It's wore out. you got to replace it. And that's it. what we have. Yeah. you got to replace it with yeah. some new ideas. You're absolutely right. No, it's, it's just, it's State just, bank is the way to go. That's I believe, one thing. I, I believe that. I don't know whether they do an insurance cooperative, but they certainly should. There's a lot of stuff they don't do. They don't think 
They don't think out of the box at yeah. all. I mean, they just think about. Yeah, you know, they don't. They don't care. Well, that that, group, that group of people down whatever, in Hartford what, is a do nothing group, group. Yeah, whatever group pays off. You know, whoever gets paid off is what happens. You know. That's, well, I suggested to our um, local representative five years ago yeah. that they and I've wrote, written her several times on this and articles on state banking. Her answer was, oh, the banks would never accept it. Well, you know, it's about time you did something instead of just complaining that nobody will accept it. Mm. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, after pre-sale, I'll be here. Hang on one second here. Hang on. Hang on. I just feel really sorry for the unions right now. It's it's just bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, I agree with that. Should children be taught how to grow food as part of their schooling? Absolutely. That's something that I want to do. Yeah, and here's, here's a stamp out Oreo ad that came up. Oreo, America's cookie, they say. Well, they are moving to Mexico and leaving 600 American families in unemployment lines and food stamp lines. Just because some corporate slug can squeeze another dime of profit out of this package, no more for me. I will just say no to Oreo. I agree with that. They move, don't buy. No Oreos for me. A study finds Monsanto glyphosate in 100% of California wines tested, even the organic ones. Oh, my God. It's terrible news for those who drink wine and who purchase organics meaning glyphosate, Monsanto's killer, all right, is in, a, is in organic wines. Jeez. I can't believe that. What a horrible corporation <clears throat> that is. Why don't they move away? Biological, bio, biochemical giant Monsanto has found itself under increased scrutiny after the World <sighs> Health Organization recently announced that glyphosate, gly, glyphosate, rather, is likely carcinogenic to humans. Yeah. Also... In the U.S., California recently labeled Monsanto's Roundup as known to cause cancer. Mm-hmm. And under the Safe Drinking Water and Toxic Environment Act of 1986, uh, chemicals that cause cancer, birth defects, or other reproductive harm are required to be listed and published by the state. The slews of studies showing the adverse health effects of Roundup on laboratory animals as well as humans are overwhelmingly ominous. Uh, which makes news of the chemical uh, being found in high quantities in beer uh, that much more, that's much, (laughs) the chemical being found in high quantities in beer, that much more worrisome. So they're finding, I don't know what I left out, I read it three times. But after dumping 2.6 billion pounds of its known carcinogen on the U.S. for the last two decades, 2.6 2.6 billion pounds of of this of this crap has been dumped, and the problem has gotten so out of hand that the FDA has announced that they will begin testing certain foods for traces of glyphosate. Glyphosate. Can't say the word. The agency is now considering assignments for fiscal year 2016 to measure glyphosate and soybeans, corn, milk, and eggs, among other potential foods. Um, as more p- people become aware of the dangerous herbicide, its presence is being tested for and popping up everywhere. Last month, the Environmental Institute in Munich, Germany, tested 14 of the best-selling beers in Germany and found that all of them had contained traces of glyphosate. After their study grabbed the attention of the world, microbe inno Tech Lab of St. Louis conducted a similar study here in the U.S. this time on wine. The results are even more disastrous as they showed the presence of glyphosate in 100% of all wines they tested, even the organic ones. All 10 of the wines tested positive for the chemical glyphosate. The declared active ingredient in Roundup Wheat Killer and 700 other uh, herbicides. Uh, The highest level of glyphosate uh, detected was up to 28.4 times higher than the other wines uh, at 18 points. The highest level. Which wine was that? A 2013 Cabernet Sauvignon 
from a conventional, chemically farmed vineyard. The lowest level was found uh, a biodynamic and an organic vineyard, 2013 Syrah, which has never been sprayed, according to the owner, with a level of 0.659. An organic, an organic wine from 2012, mixed red wine grapes, had 0.13913 of glyphosate, which I'm not sure what that means, but... But anyway, and they break it down on the table and all that stuff. But but it, it goes on. It say, has that chemical, and that's what's scary. So yeah, you're dead. And it was even found in in wines that they had never organic put in, wines, yeah, and they had, never put anything on that on that ground. So the stuff obviously creeps in through whatever. Must, it must blow in. Is that how they they put like it through crop dusting? Scary. 100% of beer tested had at least five times the amount of glyphosate allowed by law. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God, that's terrible. Why don't you just go down to the fact sheet, and I'll tell you more about it. I'll see it first. It was the next article. Okay. I think it suffices to say it has glyphosate glyphosate in it. Let's go down to Everything it. does. Yeah, everything does. Uh, ding, 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 ding. You just missed the fact sheet. Glyphosate, general fact sheet. So let's see what it does. What is glyphosate? Glyphosate. Go down to that. What, what is are it? the products that contain glyphosate? How does glyphosate work? How, how might I be go exposed down. to glyphosate? <coughs> Glyphosate is an herbicide that is applied to the leaves of plants, so they probably crop dust it, to kill both broadleaf plants and grasses. The sodium salt form of glyphosate is used to regulate the plant growth and ripen fruit. Glyphosate was first registered for use in the U.S. in 1974, one of the most widely used herbicides in the United States. People apply it in agriculture and forestry and lawns and gardens and for weeds in industrial areas. Some products contain glyphosate control aquatic plants. What are some products that contain glyphosate? Glyphosate comes in many forms, including an acid and several sauces. I'm going to ask you to go to this article because yeah. it's pretty long and involved and intense. But it does explain exactly what it is, and that from that yeah. part, it's from that uh, angle, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. but still, you know, it's a lot of pro it causes a lot of problems. Now, this, this is more. I, I know it's not nuclear. We're, we're not talking union here, but uh, it's it's incredibly important, and. Uh, because for anybody living in New York and Connecticut... Oh, is he uh, talking about Indian Point? Indian Point. Ooh, Bernie Sanders wants it to shut it down. I okay, think so. He wants to close it. But, um, you know, and uh, he's the only guy talking about it. Right? I got to hand it for him for that. Because it's only about 50 miles away from here. You know, and it could go anywhere. It's day. closer to us than the ones in Connecticut, actually. Yeah. And uh, they're saying it's, it's it's like a Chernobyl waiting to happen. Right? The continued operation of the decaying 40-year-old Indian Point nuclear power plant, it's only, by the way, it's only 25 miles away from New York City, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, power plant up the Hudson River from New York City makes no sense, said Democratic presidential candidate Sanders, who two weeks before the New York State presidential primary. The two 1970-era Indian Point nuclear reactors situated about 25 miles north of New York City within 50 miles of 20 million residents, have come uh, under increased scrutiny to, uh, of late as the facility has experienced nine occurrences of technical problems in the past year mm -hmm. or so. Four of them uh, were serious enough to shut the plant down, okay? Uh, the, titan the, the tritium uh, water leak in recent months sparked new concerns over the plant, which leads Politician, leading politicians like New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and now U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders have said should be closed. He says, I quote, he said, I am very concerned that Indian Point Power uh, 
reactor is more than even more than ever before uh, is is more than ever before a catastrophe waiting to happen. Sanders said. And in my view, we cannot sit by, idle by, and hope that the unthinkable will never happen. We must take action to shut this plant down in a safe and responsible way. It makes no sense to me to continue to operate a decaying nuclear reactor within 25 miles of New York City where nearly 10 million people live. Sanders is an advocate of ending U.S. reliance on nuclear, me too, and fossil fuel power in favor of renewable sources of energy. Nuclear power supplies about 20% of U.S. electrical generation, according to the Nuclear Energy Institute. Even in a perfect world where energy companies didn't make mistakes, nuclear power is and has always been a dangerous idea because there is no good way to store nuclear waste. Yes, Sanders said, that is why the United States must lead the world in transforming our energy system away from nuclear power and fossil fuels. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, and Obama has been, a, has been supporting it. Big proponent it. of it. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, Hillary has said nothing about it. She, she's a proponent as well. Well, she said uh, Hillary Clinton. She's all for fossil fuels. Uh, Hillary Clinton, Sanders' opponent for a Democratic presidential nomination, is also criticizing the employee, especially while she was U.S. Senator from New York. Her home in Chappaqua, New York, is 20 miles of Indian Point Clinton, though has never called for the plant shutdown. Mm-hmm. And Indian Point produces about 25% of electricity used in New York City and nearby Westchester County, according to Energy, the owner of the plant, Entergy. Uh, the first reactor at Indian Point went into service in 1962, but was decommissioned in 1974 because the core cooling system no longer met regulatory requirements. The site includes two operating Westinghouse pressurized uh, water reactors, Indian Point 2 and Indian Point 3, both installed in 1970. Oh, my God. The fact that the facility initiated 40-year license expired in December 2015, but the U.S. Nuclear Commission Energy uh, 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 issued uh, a temporary extension pending final approval. And in February, crews preparing for one of Indian Point's reactors for refueling accidentally spilled some of the water containing the radioactive hydrogen isotope tritium, causing a massive radiation spike in groundwater uh, monitoring wells. Governor Cuomo said the unacceptable groundwater leak at three monitoring wells involves alarming levels of radioactivity, triggering a state investigation. One of the three wells in question, according to Cuomo, had radioactivity increasing nearly 65,000%. The contamination did not spread off-site and did not pose a public health threat, Uh, but last month it was revealed that bird feces piling up on the power lines at Indian Point was responsible for the plant shutdown in December. Isn't that ridiculous? In May 2015, a transformer exploded at at Indian Point, uh, causing the plant to shut down and fire the billowing smoke. The... um, Explosion caused, caused transformer fluid to leak into the Hudson River. And Indian Point has a history of transformer accidents and various leaks, including a 2012 explosion in the main transformer that spilled oil into the river and caused Entergy to pay a fine of $1.2 million. So, man, we are in serious, serious trouble. Close the damn place. Yeah.
talked up a bit over this, and I and I don't think it's actual. Bernie Sanders gave some fairly normal answers on financial reform to the New York Daily News editorial board. Someone sent it to me, and as I read it, I thought, yes, these are answers I'd expect for how Sanders approaches financial reform. You wouldn't know that from the coverage of it, which has argued that the answers were an embarrassing failure. Caitlin Cruz at TPN argues that Sanders struggles to explain how he would break up the banks. And that's relatively kind. Chris uh, Silva says it was pretty close to disaster. David Graham says the answers on his core financial focus is tentative, unprepared, or unaware. And Tina Nuigen at Vanity Fair writes that Sanders admits he isn't sure how to break up the big banks. That is not correct. Well, I agree, because if you look at who's writing for what, all right, I don't know what TPM is, but it's useless. And, uh, uh, you know, you're looking at all of these major um, paper, uh, magazines they're talking about, all right, are all Hillary lovers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all Hillary and has a, bank supporters. has a clear so path on how he wants to break up the banks, which he described. Breaking up the banks doesn't require or even benefit from describing the specifics of how the banks would end up, neither for his plans or the baby steps Dodd-Frank has already taken. Generally, I believe Sanders would benefit from taking the important points Clinton has made in expanding how to tackle the financial sector as a whole. But bad arguments are bad arguments, and the arguments against Sanders here are bad. Sanders has a two-part approach to breaking up the banks and knows who can do it. There are three ways we can break, break up banks. One, Pass a law putting some sort of cap on the size of the balance sheet of financial companies, usually non-deposit liabilities, caps such as Senator Brown's Safe Banking Act, are generally proposed around 2 or 3% of GDP. Number two, have the Council of Regulators, known as Financial Stability Oversight Council, on which the Treasury Secretary serves as chair, declare the largest firms to be too risky and must be broken up. Three, have the Federal Reserve, along with the FDIC, determine that the living wills of the biggest banks, which are plans on how they can fail without bringing down the economy, are not credible and thus must be broken up. These are all, by the way, in sections of this law. The okay, second two work. Barney Frank The second two work through Dodd Frank. The first would work through Congress. Here's the first exchange that people are citing: Sanders. How you go about doing it is having legislation passed or given the authority to the Secretary of the Treasury to determine under Dodd-Frank that these banks are danger to the economy and over the problem of too big to fail. Yeah. Okay. And Daily News. But do you think that the Fed now has that authority? Sanders says, well, I don't know if the Fed has it, but I think the administration can have it. And Sanders is clearly saying that he wants to push on the first legislation passed and second Secretary of Treasury to determine two projects uh, you can do at the same time. He emphasized Section 121 in the past. and He said, I wish he'd emphasize the third approach more, as that's where the fight, uh, fight currently is. But his answer is fine. If anything, Sanders is too wonky. The Daily News and commentators on this, I think, mean regulators as a whole instead of the specific power of the Federal Reserve itself. When they ask if the Fed has the authority already, does the Fed have the authority? The Federal Reserve does have an extension, extensive set of powers under the second and third approach, but it isn't unilateral, but it also isn't clear how much they could push if they truly want it. Sanders is correct to say it's unclear how far the Federal Reserve can go. Well, it is clear, however, that the Treasury Secretary can lead uh, FSOC to it. And the real problem with Sanders' language on this topic is his one-year promise. Yeah, you'd need to replace a lot of regulators to try this approach, and that takes time. And even then, it's a hard slog. But it also seems like an idea where the campaign rhetoric is meant to diverge from the political analysis. A break, a feature of breaking up the banks is to let them choose the most efficient route. 
A lot of people are attacking Sanders for not saying how he specifically break up the banks. But, you know, I, I, what I would do, you know, what I, what, oh, this is kind of long, but what I, what I would say, first thing you got to do is by breaking up the banks is you got to get rid of the Federal Reserve, okay? you gotta, you got to nullify that Federal Reserve Act of 1913, which was never ratified in the first place. Once you do that, then you dis- then you disengage and you and you and you nullify the entire fiscal uh, uh, banking system in this country, okay, and basically around the world, mm-hmm. right? And if you do that, then what happens is it's replaced immediately by a publicly owned bank, okay? Where all, right now all of our tax monies and all of our uh, all of our tariffs and everything else are pledged to uh, the Federal Reserve to pay off our debt. To them, okay? Which because, is ridiculous. Which is insane because what we do. If we had our own bank, we wouldn't be paying any interest. Exactly. What they're doing is they're issuing debt in place of our, uh, you know. Uh, 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 it's uh, our money. As, 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 and us as creditors, okay? So, I mean, it, it's a crazy system that, that started in the 1913 and got, and hoodwinked the whole country and got fraudulently put into place and made law and it became it became a nightmare for 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 everybody and and what it did is it brought our own country into bankruptcy okay due to these bastards okay so they own us so they owned us it was given away to them they didn't even pay for it they didn't pay anything for it it was just taken just put in place and uh and 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 it started it can take it. It can be taken out of place just as easily as it was put into place. All you got to do is just uh, repeal that law, okay? The, Fed, the, the the Federal Reserve. That's right. Boom! It's gone. It's done. And all those damn bankers are done. And you can and you can toss those bastards out. And and unless they want unless they want to work for us at a reduced salary. And they can and they can work as public as public employees. Yeah, right? they see how uh, they like know, it. See how they like it uh, in a public bank. Okay, uh, you know where the, nobody profits except the the people of the United States. You know, I mean that's what that's what that's all about, and uh, you know that's how you get rid of it. You don't get rid of it through mealy mouthing uh, the Federal Reserve because they they're they're the ones causing the whole problem. That's right. And you got to get rid of them. You get rid of a you know banks too big to fail. You know, it's it's, it's ridiculous. You got to get rid of the Federal Reserve, right? That's the only thing I agreed with Rand Paul. Not Rand. Uh, what's his face, Paul? I think he. Oh, Ron, he didn't. Ron he didn't Paul. Ron nah, Paul. Rand Paul is in none much. Nah, yeah, Rand Paul just wants to, you know, cut government. He doesn't want to. He doesn't have any clue about the about the Federal Reserve. And uh, his father was the one to do that. And supposedly he worked with Bernie Sanders on trying to get the to get the Federal Reserve audited and everything else, and Bernie fell apart on that one. So, you know, it's 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 amazing. I, I, you know, Bernie's the last real hope, okay, in this election, but for for you know for any changes, but even then they're going to be really 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 modified, you know, next to what he can what he can do. If you remember what. Obama came in with him. What he accomplished? Yeah, what he accomplished. But you know, you Which really, you much. you really gotta hit real hard, really hard. And the only way you can do that is repeal that that Federal Reserve Act. You know? ah, yeah. And if you're gonna do anything, it happens in the first six months. After that, it's a slog. After that, it's a rough time. Yeah. Well, let's see. The other day, uh, a few days back. Um, Connecticut public safety workers rallied against well, you layoffs. You already read that. And we did? Yeah. What? Last week? No, we just read it a few minutes ago. Larry sent us that. That was one of the things that we read. That was the it? public safety Oh, I, 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 yeah. I, I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah, I do. Uh, what do you take from here? Well, here's something interesting. The Pentagon lost a quarter of a billion dollars that was supposed to be used to fight ISIS. Well, where do you think that got lost? In somebody's pocket? Did we do that one? Yeah, I think we did that one last week. Last week, yep. But um, anyway, what did you say? 
think it got lost in somebody's pocket or bank account? Yeah, it went into paid off some schmuck. But, you know, it's such a crooked damn thing. It's very sad. So it's a crooked thing. But, you know, there's not much you can do about it. You, you just, you know, we try, we try. And, you know, and you get you get censored, you get uh, cut up, you get chopped up, you get, uh, you know. Well, here's a good thing. Here's a good, uh, if you think everything will be okay once he's out of office, you haven't figured out the problem yet. That's a picture of uh, Obama. Obama yeah. uh, well, here's something that I, I fully agree with. Uh, Progressive Change Campaign Committee brought this up, and it says restore Glass-Steagall, which is absolutely what they should do. And that's by Elizabeth Warren? Uh, she talk about that? Join the campaign to support Elizabeth Warren's new Glass-Steagall bill. Mm-hmm. That's trying to put that back in, which is a, which is the law that they, they did away up. with. Right. And we can, and we can thank to New England. Uh, we can thank Clinton for that. Mm-hmm. Okay? Well, we can claim Clinton. Chris Clinton. Dodd. Uh, yeah, and Chris Dodd, and you can also thank uh, George Bush. Mm-hmm. Senator Elizabeth Warren has just reintroduced a bill to restore Glass-Steagall Act, which prevents big banks from gambling people's taxpayer-insured uh, life savings. The uh, original Glass-Steagall Act was passed after the Great Crash of 1929 and led to 50 years of bank stability until it was repealed in 1999. That too. That was the last year that uh, dipshit uh, Clinton was was left in office. Yeah. Yeah. Then too big to fail banks took uh, massive risks, crashed our economy, and demanded taxpayer bailouts. As Senator Warren says, the biggest banks are collectively much larger than they were before the crisis, and they really? continue to engage in dangerous practices that could once again crash our economy. The 21st Century Steagall Glass Steagall Act where we build a wall between commercial and investment banking and make our financial system more stable and secure. We've had enough of our democracy being bought by Wall Street banks and other corporate interests. We call on Congress to break up the too-big-to-fail Wall Street banks and pass our major system systemic changes like Elizabeth Warren's 21st century Glass-Steagall Act. I, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. If you want to sign a petition, go to Progressive Change Campaign Committee, boldprogressives.org, boldprogressives.org. So there you go, folks. A newly discovered planet could destroy Earth any day now. What's that about? I don't know. I thought that was weird, though. Is it going to be ready to crash into us? Is that the problem? Probably. But this is from the New York Post, so you can't really believe it. <laughs> they're, they're, they're hokey pokey and all kinds of sensationalism. So it says, uh, a mysterious planet that wiped out life on Earth millions of years ago could do it again, according to a top science uh, space scientist. And some believe the ap- apocalyptic event could happen as early as this month. Oh. Planet Nine... A new planet discovered by the solar by the edge uh, at the edge of the solar system in January has triggered comet showers and bombed the Earth's surface, killing all life. Says Daniel. Where the hell is this? When did that happen? When did this happen? Is, is this recent? April sixth. Yeah. The astrophysicist says the planet has a twenty thousand year orbit around the sun, and. At its closest to us, it knocks asteroids and comets toward the Earth. Fossil evidence has suggested most life on Earth is mysteriously wiped out every 26 million to 27 million years. Whitmore claims Planet Nine's passage through a rock-laden area called the Kuiper Belt is responsible for the extinction event. Interesting. Conspiracy theorists in the 80s and 90s previously claimed a red dwarf planet called Nibiru, or Nemesis, which orbits too close to the Earth every 36,000 years, was behind the event. Now some are convinced there will be a collision or a near miss before the end of April. Nemesis, or Nibiru, was widely dismissed as a crackpot pseudoscience 
until Planet Nine was identified in January by the California Institute of Technology. Well, that explains a lot because Nibiru was supposed to come back, uh, and um, I thought it was every 3,600 years, but they're saying every 36,000 years. I don't know about that. I, I, I have to question that because I think it was 3,600 years that uh, that it that it revolved. It comes close to Earth, and Nibiru was actually the planet of the Anunnaki. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which claims that see as it as it gets closer to the Earth, that we were um, um, we were um, uh, occupied by the Anunnaki. Okay, during that period of time, which is about the time of the Egyptians, down period, Sumerians, Egyptians. Um, some. Uh, 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 conspiracy theorists, eighties and nineties. Yeah, uh, some now some are convinced there will be a collision in the next semester in the end of April. So that's that's cool. But there's also a prophecy about the about the this about Nibiru. And uh, this isn't Nibiru. This is the ninth planet. Same one. That's no, what they, that's, isn't that what they're talking about? No, isn't it is the isn't. Ninth planet, no, this is. This is a new planet discovered at the edge of the solar system in January. Oh, I see. So you're confused, Leo. Giving wrong information. We, solar system, we, we realize that while most of the, the very distant objects, these objects beyond Neptune, beyond Pluto, most of these objects, they, they all go around the sun and they're all sort of pointing off in all different directions, but the most distant objects all swing out in one direction. In, in, in a very strange way that shouldn't happen. And we realized that the only way we could get them to all swing in one direction is if there is a massive planet also very distant in the solar system keeping them in place while they all go around the sun. And we started looking at this and thinking, this, this, is, this must be either a coincidence or it's uh, caused by something else. It can't be caused by a planet because that's crazy. There are no planets out there. I went from trying very hard to be skeptical that what we were talking about was true to suddenly thinking, oh, this actually might even be true. So the object itself likely is more massive than the Earth, probably a little bit less massive than Neptune. It sits right in between that terrestrial to giant icy planet range. Its orbit, unlike the orbits of the known planets, is not nearly circular. Instead, it is exceptionally wide, 20 times bigger than the orbit of Neptune. The orbital period of the Earth is, of course, one year. Mm -hmm. The orbital period of Jupiter, the big player in our solar system, is about 10 years. The orbital period of this putative ninth planet is 20,000 years. We have nothing like it in the solar system, so it's new for us. It is, however, the most common mass of planets that have been found around all of the other stars. People have always looked at all these other planets in this strange mass range and said, wow, I wonder what these are. I don't know what these are because we don't have anything like it in the solar system. Looks like maybe we do. There are many telescopes on the Earth that actually have a chance of being able to find it, and I think that uh, many people will be inspired to use their telescopes. I'm really hoping that as we announce this, people people start a, uh, a worldwide search to go find this ninth planet. History shows us that it's a bad idea to consistently say we have now reached the end of the solar system and there's nothing beyond what we already know. And all those people who are mad that Pluto is no longer a planet can be thrilled to know that there's a real planet out there still to be found. Interesting. It is. It's very interesting. But, you know. I'd like to know more about that. Yeah. Hey, gang, Alex here. You can check that out another time. Okay. Um, I got my old chum, Danny, getting ready to set. Uh, sorry, folks. Uh, the new planet X is no threat to Earth. There is a hidden planet in our solar system that could wipe out the life on Earth. <laughs> NASA's official cautious about planet nine. Oh, Sweden is 80% atheist. Imagine an entire country without morals. Oh, wait, 
They have one of the lowest crime rates in the world. Huh, guess religion isn't important. <laughs> no kidding, 80% are atheists in Sweden. That's interesting. Is that interesting? Yeah, I find that odd. Hmm. How could they, I don't understand how people can be atheists myself. Yeah. Now, here, here's Ted Cruz. Now, what this guy is the biggest bum that ever ever lived. But and he's saying, in Wednesday's radio interview, Cruz said he was inspired by Walker's stand against unions. All right, <laughs> what a what a piece of work. This was sent to us by AFME. And Ted Cruz calls for national law to cripple unions. He said the Wisconsin law restricting unions is exactly what we need to do in Washington. What a what a piece of work. This is Ted Cruz. Now, he just won the Republican nomination in Washington, in, uh, in Wisconsin. Republican presidential candidate Ted Cruz uh, said during a radio interview Thursday that he supports national right-to-work legislation, a type of anti-labor law that Wisconsin passed last year in an effort to cripple the state's unions. The Texas senator was currently leading in the Wisconsin polls, said in an interview, uh, he won last night, by the way, uh, on WTMJ Radio in Milwaukee, that such right-to-work laws are a fundamental right, according to the Associated Press. Uh, right-to-work laws are designed to severely weaken unions by forcing them to provide services without payment from workers. And Cruz said... Uh, during the interview, that supporting a right-to-work law will show that government sides with the working men and women of this country. We, uh, he added that Wisconsin's law restricting unions is exactly what we need to do in Washington. What oh, a great. piece of work. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, who, was in, who endorsed Cruz, signed a right-to-work law last year despite staunch opposition from local activists and workers. And the law made Wisconsin the 25th state in the country with right-to-work legislation on the books. So, while Republicans argue the laws free workers from union dues and make businesses more competitive, studies have shown that all workers, regardless of whether or not they belong to a union, lose an average of $1,500 a year in wages as a result of these laws, and workers are less likely to receive benefits like health insurance or pensions. And states with right-to-work laws also tend to be see less upward mobility than the rest of the country. Huh. And, and this goes on, but you know it, it's really it, it's really sick. Um, let's see. Senator John, uh, Governor John Kasich has said on the camp train trail that he Where believes Ohio doesn't need a right-to-work law. Though Kasich is hardly an advocate for unions, he is perhaps recognize the unpopularity of such laws. Michigan passed a right-to-work law in 2012, and Governor Rick Snyder saw his approval ratings plummet after he signed the bill. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, he's still there, though. Yeah. Yeah, he's the Flint, he's the, uh, Michigan. Yeah. He's the same guy. All right. Walker also faced sharp public backlash after he signed <laughs> a law that virtually ended collective bargaining. Uh, rights for the most public sector unions, dropped out of the Republican presidential race last September. He had also called for right-to-work legislation on the national level, saying during one of those final campaign events, we must take on big government union bosses in Washington, just like I took them on in Wisconsin. And in Wednesday's radio interview, Cruz said he was inspired by Walker's stand against unions. What a, this guy is the biggest piece of crap I've ever seen. I have uh, just kind of had a little. I don't have any 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 any, any more faith in this. Yeah, it's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah, I really don't. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, we're at, we're at the end of our show, and I want to thank everybody who joined us. And uh, we did mention an article by uh, by Larry Norman, and hopefully one day we'll be able to get him back on the air. He seems to be uh, pretty pretty elusive here with a lot of business. Uh, I think he's, he's very busy because of very, all the layoffs, yeah. proposed he, layoffs for state workers. And yeah, he's in meetings till 10, 9, 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, we, but uh, I, when I know when he has some free time, he'll be on to be give on, his yeah. comments about what's happening in Connecticut. Yeah. And keep on fighting on, Larry, for our union members. It's important. Yeah. And so anyway, we want to thank everybody who joined us, and I wish you the very best. And uh, 
Talk to you very soon. Good night, folks.